We're finishing up our series today about loving Orangeburg as we're leading into our missions conference next weekend. We'll be in uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 looking at verses 7 through 11 this week, having looked at verses 4 through 7 last week. Boys and girls, make sure you have your children's bulletin. You do have your own translation in there and a place you can ask questions as well. And again, make sure you put your names on those when you ask us questions so we know who to answer. And before we go to God's Word, let's go to Him once more time in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come before You and proclaim that You are our one and only cornerstone. And Lord, we ask that as we come to You, that You would open up Your Word to us. Send Your Spirit once again, not just to help us understand, but to apply and to live out, to be obedient unto Your Word for us. Lord, we ask that You would build us up this day by Your Word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we're in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 7 through 11. It's printed for you in the ESV translation in Toto in your bulletin. Of course, you're free to turn there yourself as well. So we had our uh, most recent new members class back in, I believe, November is when it was. And um, one of the men in that class, about the third or fourth class, raised his hand, asked the question, something to the gist of, you know, I know you all do lots of stuff for missions, but what do we do locally? And... I hemmed and hawed and tried to, you know, put a good face on it. And finally I just went, we're a very generous church when it comes to foreign missions and even regional missions. But we don't have a lot going on locally. And the session is prayerfully trying to change that. Unrelated, this person did not know this happened. About three to four weeks later, a man shows up in my office. Very supportive, loves this church comes from a different denominational background. He asks, I'm struggling with something here. You've got to help me. I've been here several years now, and I hadn't seen anybody get saved. What's going on? Again, I hemmed and hawed and tried to put a good space on it, and I finally just admitted. I said, you know, there's just not a lot of personal evangelism going on in this congregation. It's the biggest pastoral challenge John Mark and I face. We're open to ideas. And I share those two stories with you because those are the concerns behind this series. There's been you know, some question, what is Sean trying to say? Is he trying to turn us into a different kind of church? No, we're just trying to recognize the fact that we don't have a lot going on locally. And we haven't seen an, an adult baptism, a person who as an adult does not know Christ come to Christ in a very long time. And that is because we as a session have come to the conclusion that we're just not a church that's on mission here. We believe in missions. We support missions. We're very generous about missions. But for some reason there's a disconnect where missions are about what's happening over there. And there's not us recognizing missions right here. And so there are a few exceptions. But one of the things that we have diagnosed just from conversations we've overheard is that the, many of us in the room don't see Orangeburg as a mission field because we don't love Orangeburg. We regret living here, and we don't expect anything good to happen here. And so it's hard, if not impossible, to be on mission and love the people of a city if you have such negative feelings about the city. 
And so together what we've been doing over the last month is going to God's Word and, and saying, Lord, please, from Your Word, give us purpose, give us mission, give us a love for this city where You have put us. And we've been doing that recently by looking at the exiles in Babylon where these Jewish people were taken to a city that they hated and they were forced to live in. And yet they were commanded to love and serve that city. So last week we, we saw, we were reminded that God called them there, God Himself put them there and told them to settle down, to prepare for a long-term stay, to seek the health of Babylon. And when they do that, they themselves will find health, is His promise. After all, they were in Babylon, remember, because they themselves were unhealthy. Their life with God was a shambles. And the only cure was for them to learn to love their enemies by seeking the health of Babylon. And in that, God promises your health will come as well. It's such a radical calling. It's so different. It's so unbelievable to them. It's so hard for them to seek the good of those who've harmed you that God has to reinforce it in our passage we see today where God comes and basically says, anybody who says otherwise is lying to you. And so with that in mind, let's go now together to Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 7 through 11. This is God's Word. <clears throat> but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is God's Word. And so we see that instead of listening to false voices, the exiles need to believe God's promises. He needs to believe in God's plans to make them healthy. And that's where our theme comes from today. That's our sentence. I would encourage you to take your bulletins home and go over this with your kids at family worship or at your own personal worship throughout the week to remember what was Sunday about. Here's where we're going to go today. Don't be deceived. God's plan for our health is for us to seek the health of Orangeburg. That's it. God's plan for our health is for us to ignore the false voices Trust in His promises and then believe in His plans. And so let's look at that together. Let's ignore the false voices. This text begins with God reasserting that this message is His message. That the other prophets, the diviners, the dreams of the people, those were all attempting to lead them astray. They were to ignore all of that stuff and say, your calling is to seek your health through building the health of Babylon. Because there were all these voices. Remember, Jeremiah is in Jerusalem. God speaks this to Jeremiah in Jerusalem, and the letter is sent to the Babylon. So he's not there. So there were all these voices that were there. And there were the voices in their own head, their dreams, their fancies, all pointing to a different path out of their difficulties. And God cuts through all that static. 
and says, no, this is the message. You know, maybe it's other people telling you something. Maybe it's your own thoughts and voices and dreams in your head. But we all have voices in our lives trying to soften that radical call of verse 7, don't we? But, but, but the blog I read says this. But, but, but the guy on Christian radio says this. But, but I've always thought that, but we've always done it this way. And God says, don't listen. Focus on verse 7. Your health comes from making your city healthy. Whatever it is that causes you to dismiss yourself from the challenge of verse 7, don't listen to it. It's a lie. That's pretty... That's pretty straightforward. That we're instead, we're we're to realize that, you know, in our world of multiple messages on how to deal with your problems, how to handle stress, how to find happiness, God still speaks to the static in His Word and says, this is it. I have spoken. You know, boys and girls, what God is saying here is that these were strangers bringing a strange message to God's people. God didn't send them and they didn't know God. And so God tells His people, boys and girls, just like your parents tell you, don't talk to strangers. Don't listen to strangers. Listen to me. And God has spoken to us, boys and girls, in His Word. This is why your Sunday school teachers, your parents, your pastors are always trying to get you into the Bible because it guides us. Look with me, boys and girls, at your verse 8 and 9. This is what's going on. Here is what our God, the Lord of all, says. Don't listen to strangers who say they are from me. Don't follow your own wild ideas about me either. Don't believe those lies. Even if they sound churchy, they are not from me. I promise. You see, boys and girls, what happened back then is kind of what happens today. People in church world, we kind of like to make up things on how this is how Christians act, this is how Christians talk, this is what good Christians do. And God comes and says, actually, it doesn't matter how religious it sounds. It doesn't matter how churchy it looks, boys and girls. If it turns us away from verse 7, that we're supposed to be healthy by seeking the health of our city, it's a lie. You know, for all of us, we just had our small groups dinner this past Sunday night. We're, We're showing you and launching our small group ministry that starts next Sunday night. And by the way, y'all need to be here next Sunday night, every one of you, to participate in that. That's when we're going to actually divide up our groups. Two weeks, sorry. Not two weeks, the 15th, right? 14th. 14th, right? 15th, okay. Wait. First, second, third. Math, carry the five. Okay, right. So, I was told there'd be no math in ministry, sorry. So, the, four, the 15th, Sunday night, be here, or John Mark will get mad at me. Okay. You see, it's in our small groups that we're going to see this happen. It's in our small groups that we're going to see find different avenues and different ideas on how can we love Orangeburg well. It's in the small groups that we're going to find out things we didn't know about Orangeburg and needs. I can help with that. You need to come. It's going to be good for you because we're going to build our health through building the health of the city. The small groups are going to be the key to verse 7 being in our church life. And so, whatever that voice is in your head, And hear me here, whatever that voice is in your life that tells you it's okay to isolate yourself in your home, it's okay to have no real relationships, 
that it's okay to spend, quote, your free time on, you know, hobbies, hunting, and sports, and it has no effect on your Christian life, that voice is a lie. You need other people because the mandate is for you to make Orangeburg healthy. That's how God will make you healthy. Because don't be deceived. God's plan for all of us, for our health, is for us to seek the health of Orangeburg. So ignore the false voices and instead trust God's promises. Look with me at verse 10. God says this, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Remember we saw last week God claimed responsibility in verse 4 for taking them there. Now he's going to claim responsibility for bringing them out. In other words, the exile is not permanent. They are still called, however, even though it's not permanent, to dig deep in Babylon, to love where they live. And it's a struggle. It was not easy to be Jewish in Babylon. It was not easy to be part of a defeated minority who had weird customs. And their struggle is our struggle. We don't really love Orangeburg deep down, many of us. We don't really, if you get right down to it, love our neighborhoods that much deep down. And so we ignore verse 7. We don't really believe our health is connected to making our city better, and so we don't do it, and so we're kind of just stuck. I want you to understand this concept. I used to be in the insurance industry, and you know, one of the things I noticed after having been in it for a couple years is that a homeowner's policy, you know, if you own a home, your insurance you have, for if you have a second home, like a rental property, that for a comparable sized house, it's actually a lot cheaper to have homeowner's insurance than for the rental property, which is weird because you get more stuff with your homeowner's policy. So I remember asking, you know, the underwriters about this and what's going on there, and there was this concept in the insurance world called pride of ownership. And basically what it means is it's, it's a way of underwriters quantifying a subjective emotional tendency. Basically this, if you own it, you love it. If you rent it, you don't. And so when something happens, when money gets tight, when resources aren't available, there's still certain things of maintenance and upkeep that an owner will do to his home that a tenant will not. And so rental properties sustain more damage because there's no pride of ownership. Do we have pride of ownership for Orangeburg? Or are we tenants? See, that's the question here. Has, our, has the routine of life and the busyness for, caused us to kind of just pull back because we don't live here, it's not ours, we don't care? Are we treating Orangeburg and its people like someone else's problem because we're just passing through? See, God counters that mentality here, and he says, yes, you're exiles. Yes, exile is going to end. Of course, this world is not your ultimate home, but I have you here for a purpose for this time. Don't live like a tenant. Buy there. Live there. Love there. Seek to make it a better place, and you'll get better too. That wasn't easy in Babylon, but they did it. Just think of your Old Testament history that you know. Maybe reach way back in Sunday school. Daniel and his friends rose up through the ranks of the Babylonian government, became extremely high-trusted officials. When Persia took over and said, you can leave Babylon, the majority of Jews didn't because 
they got so involved and so integrated and they loved it and didn't want to go back. Esther became queen of Persia because her and her family were so integrated. Mordecai, her uncle, became prime minister. Ezra was able to lead back an entire host of exiles with money and funds and and resources to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, which is not just a servant, it's more like a combination of a chief advisor and office manager, kind of like the White House chief of staff. Okay, Nehemiah is that high. And he leaves that position to go and rebuild Jerusalem, which he could not have done unless he had been that high. These people heard verse 7, and they taught it to their children, and their grandchildren did it. None of that would have happened. We'd have no Daniel, we'd have no Nehemiah, we'd have none of this stuff if they had isolated themselves, kept in their little ghetto to keep pure while Babylon goes to hell in a handbasket. See, the question we have to ask ourselves before a text like this is, are we living out verse 7 here and now? Do we believe verse 7? Do we have any Esthers? Do we have any Daniels in the room? Or have we been listening to the false voices and circling the wagons so we can stay pure while America goes to hell in a handbasket instead of reaching out? Here's the test. And this, this one hurts. I, I'm going to admit this up front. I was going over this week. I was like, do I really have to say this? This hurts. If we closed shop, sorry, budget's not going to work, can't do the building anymore. It's been a good you know, 30-year run, but Trinity's gone, closing shop. Would there be an outcry in the city? No! The Christians that go to Trinity are too valuable. I mean, yeah, they're always talking about Jesus and bugging you about that stuff, but they're so good for our city. We, we're going to have to raise taxes to cover what, they're, what, what we're going to miss if they leave. Don't go. Or would the outcry be, which church? Who? Where is that church? How about, let's make it more personal. You take that for sale sign and you put it in your front yard. Over the next few days, does most of your neighborhood come by? Like, where are you going? You're like one of the best things about this neighborhood. It won't be the same without you. What's going on? What's, What's happening? Or would it be, well, yeah, we've waved at each other when we've walked by. Only know them. See, it's not easy. But the promise of verse 7 still stands. If we make our neighborhoods and Orangeburg healthier, we will get healthier ourselves. Don't be deceived. God's plan for our health is for us to seek the health of Orangeburg. So trust God's promise in that. And then believe His plan. Here we are at Jeremiah 29, 11. We love this verse, don't we? So many people, this is is my life verse. and It's great, it should be, it's an awesome verse. I've used it too, but let's clarify it a bit before we jump in, okay? We have to remember, I teach my kids this all the time, we have to remember that whenever we see the word Y-O-U in Scripture, it is almost always plural. Which means, when you read it, it means y'all, it doesn't mean me, or yourself, right? So, when in doubt, think of it as plural, not singular. We tend to do the opposite, right? When we read you, we say me, and we kind of miss out on it a little bit. 
So, Pastor Sean, you're saying that God didn't have plans for me? No, I'm not saying that, but let's just try to look at it in, in, in context here. So I want to re- look together at a clarified, we'll call it, verse 11, okay? So verse 11. For I know the plans I have for y'all, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give y'all a future and a hope. See, he's talking to a group. He's talking to a whole bunch of people at once. And here's what's really interesting. In the context of verse 10, the whole 70 years, and then you get to leave, most of the people reading this letter, God's plans for them is they aren't leaving. They're going to die in Babylon. So he says, 70 years, and then I'll get you out of Babylon, because I know the plans I have for you all, and they're good plans. They're going to give you hope and a future. And they're reading it going, you just said I'm dying in Babylon. I'm 40 years old. I'm not living another 70 years. But God says, those are my plans for y'all. I'm going to get your grandchildren out of Babylon, but you are never leaving. That's some hope and some future, huh? Thanks, God. Appreciate that. See, but the future and the hope was for the group. It was for the people of God. Jerusalem would be resettled. And eventually, a Messiah would come forth from that people to be the savior of all kinds of people because God has great plans for the group. His plans were for the whole, which meant sometimes for the whole's hope and future, sometimes the individuals don't get much of a hope and future. That's the primary meaning. But then, of course, we're part of that group, so then we could say, okay, I, I get that, but there's also a promise for me. So he does have plans for individuals as well, of course. His plan for them was verse 7. In fact, we could almost cut and paste verse 7 into verse 11, and so we get this. What are God's plans for us as individuals? Okay, his plans for the group. What are his plans for us as individuals? Well, let's try that. Let's cut and paste verse 7 and 11 together and look at it, okay? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and to pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You see that word welfare. If you were here last week, you understand why we're talking about health so much. If you haven't been, weren't here, you're like, what is he talking about health? That word for welfare is the Hebrew word shalom, which is often translated peace, but it's bigger than that. It means wholesomeness. It means wholeness. Or we're translating it as health. God is promising health here. See, doesn't that make it so much richer? See, God's plans for your health are for you to seek the health of the city. And that's going to give you hope and a future. It's so much richer than just grabbing onto a vague promise and difficulty. Say, no, God's plans are for me to have health by being on mission where he sent me. Oh, there's a great image here that we miss as English readers. I think we have this slide for you, too. There's a great image here. Okay, the word for plans that he uses there in verse 11 is actually used in other places as the idea of weavings. The, the word for future is actually, it's, it's not used for future except for here. It's more the idea of a result or the end of something. And then finally, that word for hope is the word used for cord, like a thick thread, a cord. And so when they would read that, they would say, for, God says, I know the weavings I have for you to make a good result out of all these cords. And we read that like, what? And they read that and they look down at every rug in every tent and every home in Babylon because they didn't have heart pine. They hadn't found it yet. They had dirt. And so they had rugs. 
doesn't matter if you were poor or rich, everybody had a rug. And so God says, look down. See that beautiful rug that you live on? I'm making you into one of those from my house. God is weaving a tapestry of his people, and each one of us is a cord in that great work. And he promises that his weaving of us together is for our good, is for our health. It may not always be easy. It may not always be pleasant. But he's going to make something substantial out of us as he's building up his people. He's weaving and connecting us together with ourselves and with our city. That is his great plan for us. See, God promises to weave individual Christians together into this thing of beauty. And somehow, as he, he does that as we weave ourselves together with our city, trying to make it beautiful, and together it's this beautiful thing. We have to trust that promise and believe that plan. See, let that change the way you think. Missions, local, regional, national, international, is not something certain persons do. It is the calling of the whole church. It is who we are. Say that again. Missions is not something certain people in the church do. Missions is who we are. And so unless God has come to you and given you a specific call to get out of your city and go there, the default call on your life is verse 7. The default wonderful plans he has for you, plans for hope in the future, is verse 7. So you get up, what does God want me to do with my life? God wants you to go seek the health of the city where you live, because in its health is your health. Yeah, but I don't want to do that. Well, I said that part out loud. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. See, God's plans for us are for us to be on mission. Right where he puts us. And it starts by blessing our community right here. Recognizing God has put us here to make Orangeburg better. Why is Trinity Presbyterian Church here? We're to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Yes, by making Orangeburg healthy. That's the plan. I really want you all to get this. I really want you all to see how you fit in here. So, again, we just launched our 242 groups. If you will look at the back cover of your bulletin, you'll see this wonderful thing here. It looks like a chalkboard. We're calling them 242 groups based on Acts 2.42, oddly enough. And it says this. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking the bread, and to the prayers. But then if we skip down a couple verses, we have this on the slide. Don't turn there. It takes you long. Verse 46 and 47 of that same chapter says this. And, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see how this all fits together? Let me show you real quick. They were worshiping publicly in Acts 2.42. They were meeting in small groups. They were taking care of the worshiping community and they were taking care of the greater community. So much so that in verse 47 it says what? They were having favor with all the people. That means their city. With the result that what? The Lord added to their number those who were being saved. See, they worshiped together. They met in smaller groups together. They worked towards the health of their city and then what was the result? 
God added to their numbers those who were being saved. You see, the early church, as the Holy Spirit came down and as they were trying to figure out, okay, what do we do now? The early church, starting right here at Acts 2.42, they went to Jeremiah 29 and they said, well, we're told to do this. Let's do this until God tells us something else. And so they applied Jeremiah 29.7 to the Roman Empire and it changed the world. Throughout the New Testament, you can go and you'll see, especially in Paul's epistles, there's this idea of Christians do good stuff, which leads to evangelism, which builds up the church. You've got to have the stuff. You have to do good works, good deeds, and evangelism. Work for the health of where you live. That was the New Testament plan for building the church from 12 people to being the official religion in just three centuries was applying Jeremiah 29.7. Imagine what would happen if the church in America quit trying to win elections and just started applying Jeremiah 29.7. Imagine if we applied it to Orangeburg. So just to wrap up, God has Jeremiah send this letter to reassure all of us exiles that God knows what He's doing. He knows the plans He has for us. And even if it seems on the surface like they're weird and they're hard and it's difficult, God's plans are always best. We don't know the specifics of those plans, but He does. But He's told us what we need to know. His plan is for us to get healthy through seeking the health of our city. So if we want to bring this whole series together, what have we been talking about? What can we take home from this? The gospel is the manifestation of the beauty of God, whereby He makes ugly sinners beautiful through the grace of Christ. He then commissions us, as we saw, to grow in our own beauty by taking His beauty to our city. Through both good works and evangelism, we are to make Orangeburg beautiful. And we do that through loving Orangeburg, trusting God's plans, that that's what He wants us to do. Because His plan is that we become more healthy. We become deeper, more robust Christians through seeking the health of our city. See, health isn't just something God wants us to give. He wants to give it to us, and so He's shown us how to do it. And so He promises way back then to give those exiles a future and a hope, and that speaks to us today because He did bring them home. And in the fullness of time, He did send His Son. And His Son came, and His Son redeemed His people. He brought health to unhealthy people. And He did that by bringing peace between God and and His people, between a holy God and a sinful people. And the only way to bring together a holy God and a sinful people was for Jesus to stand in the middle and give up His life to be the atoning sacrifice for the sin of God's people before a holy God. And therefore, He could then give them health and beauty and holiness as a gift. That's Christianity. That's the gospel God's plan for your life is for you to be healthy in that gospel. To know more of Christ so you can show and tell more of Christ. That is God's plan to give you a hope and a future. Oh dear Christian, 
I know this has been kind of poignant and very, very, you know, in your face. I want to be very clear about this. This is not God saying, so you better pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You better get serious about your Christianity or else I'm going to get upset with you. It's going to be 70 more years of exile. No. God's plan is for you to take the health that says, Lord, I don't want to do this. I've worked 50 hours a week. I'm exhausted by the time I play with my kids, and I just want to sit in my home and rest. What's so wrong with that? I've got to go out and do something else in my neighborhood? Have you met my neighbors? You know, which is not what I say, what my neighbors say about me. Anyway, it's hard. I know. I get it. There's only one person who ever fully took Jeremiah 29.7 and said, Yes, I will give my life for the health of others. God's not calling you to be Jesus. God's calling you to embrace Jesus in the gospel. And then powered by that beauty, you stumbling and falteringly and little baby steps go out and try to love your city. Don't try to do this in your own power. Embrace Jesus Christ in the gospel and ask him to give you a love for Orangeburg, and he will. Will you embrace God's plans he has for you is the question. So as we enter our missions emphasis weekend, will we embrace God's plans for us to be missionaries in Orangeburg, becoming healthy by taking his health to Orangeburg? Orangeburg can be better. God wants Orangeburg to be better. That's why he put us here. Will we believe his promise and make Orangeburg better by his grace? Because that's the plan God has for us. God's plan for our health is for us to seek the health of Orangeburg. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come before you and we do ask that you would help us, Lord. We are unhealthy. Would you help us to believe your plans for our health? That it is to go out and to make Orangeburg better. Lord, we want to go to another Bible study. We want to read another Christian book. We want, to, we want to attend another seminar to get healthy. We don't want to go out to the uncomfortable places. Would you forgive us? And by your grace, through the gospel, would you empower us to take your love? Would you give us a love for our city? And would you do this, Lord, in Jesus' name? Amen. Please stand. Let's respond to God's word together. What wondrous love is this, O my soul, O my soul? What wondrous love is this, O my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul? To bear the dreadful curse for my soul. When I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down. When I was sinking down, sinking down. When I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down beneath 
God's righteous frown. Christ laid aside his crown for my soul, for my soul. Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. To God and to the Lamb I will sing, I will sing. To God and to the Lamb I will sing. To God and to the Lamb who is the great I am. While millions join the theme I will sing, I will sing. While millions join the theme I will sing. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing and joyful be. And through eternity, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And through eternity, I'll sing on. Please be seated. <clears throat> 